Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of the Positive Aging Community. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. We're able to bring these discussions to you along with copies of the Positive Aging Sourcebook, thanks to the support of our Positive Aging Community Champions. Visit ProAging.com to connect with them and find hundreds of other resources. Today, we had a live and interactive discussions with, with Ellen Belk, who is a respected trailblazer in the senior living and active aging sector for over two decades. She's a straight-talking thought leader who effectively advises everyone from executives to the front lines of care, and most importantly, families that are facing dementia. So let's jump into an informative discussion with Ellen Belk. And then I need to let our YouTube and LinkedIn friends in. And all right. I've really been looking forward to our discussion today. And I see that my screen is a little bit off center, but we're going to be talking about the global dementia IQ. And I had never even heard of this uh, until I met Ellen Belk. And when I met her, I was like, wow, this, this woman has really got some fresh ideas and a new perspective. And I was really charged up uh, to hear about her ideas. And the first thing I said is, Ellen, would you be willing to come on and, and have a discussion with our community? Because um, I'd love to share your perspective. So let's welcome uh, Ellen Belk to the stage. And uh, we're going to get to know her a little bit better. Uh, thanks for joining us, Ellen. And I, I hope this doesn't embarrass you. But, you know, one of the coolest things about Ellen that I, uh, when I first met her and we were just kind of chatting, I, that she is an elite or you're always, you will always be an elite collegiate uh, basketball player. And uh, I remember, I think I met you maybe a few months before the women's final, final four that just captured the nation's yeah. attention. And it was just, so awesome to see the transformation of women's sports in our culture. And I could sort of compare that to uh, different perspectives in the way that we talk about aging and dementia and ageism and all that. I feel like we are in a, uh, you know, we're moving down a similar track of change and new ideas. Evolution. Evolution. Yeah. yeah. And so um, so I think it's really cool that you kind of bring this elite competitive sports background to uh, the field of aging and dementia care. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to dive into um, some ideas that you're going to share with the audience. Yeah, well, this is such a treat because you and I I felt like we were we could be neighbors and never leave each other's backyard. We we <laughs> talked about sports, we talked about marketing, we talked about aging, all things that we're you know passionate about. So that and you were quite the little entrepreneurial athlete yourself, uh, if I recall, with your you know your paddle boarding, cycling, all yeah. that type of stuff. I yeah. found that to be so. So we are uh, it's the mutual adoration club between the two of us, but. Uh, thank you. And, and I'm so jazzed to be on this. I've actually been a, um, an audience member every once in a while when I can, I jump onto your stuff. You've got good 
good energy on this platform, Steve. So I really appreciate you elevating just the conversations in general. Um, and my, you know, my background, I'll talk a little bit about it, but I, yeah, you're right. I played competitive sports. I was an athlete. I mean, I was like almost six feet tall at, 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 in fifth grade. I was like five ten in sixth grade, fifth grade. And I was asked to play on the eighth grade basketball team. And from then on, I, you know, I was a high school. And then I did, I went on to college and got a division one scholarship at, at two universities. Actually, I, I originally started at Illinois state. Um, I didn't play as much as I would have liked. So I went back home and I got another division one scholarship at Marquette university, which is my hometown in my hometown in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, and then after that, I ended up parlaying my, um, coached myself. I actually became a, an assistant coach at the iconic high school that I had played at in Wisconsin and Milwaukee. Uh, uh, we were on like a 15 year, you know, state champion, uh, ship run. And I was part of that as a high school student. And then I ended up coming back after college and helping coach there for several years. But then I also parlayed my background in sports into a sports career because my, my degree from college was in uh, radio broadcasting. So for a decade of my life after college, I actually covered sports professionally um, and uh, have a million stories on that. Usually I tell with a cocktail in my hand, so I'll spare your audience here. Uh, but after um, my career shifted from the sports you know, euphoria in after 9-11, I actually was a member of the media covering all the iconic sports teams in New York City when 9-11, the original happened, and um, it, it really rocked my world, changed my viewpoint on things. I was, you know, on the grandest scheme, uh, scene in, in media at the time, but I went back home, back to Milwaukee, and kind of recalibrated, but I had this amazing big voice that had done me very well. I mean, my personality and my vo voice is good for media. But it, I was kind of done with the media. It seemed frivolous at that point when my world had been really, and I was in, we were, I had, we were, I was impacted by 9-11 uh, in New York as well. And so I ended up landing in healthcare. And I will say, Steve, I, I purposely sought out healthcare at that time. Again, this is 2001, 2002, because I wanted something stable. I figured, hey, everybody needs healthcare, right? But I thought at the time that I could use this big voice. I could be a spokesperson at a hospital network. I wanted to, it wanted it to make sense for me. But when I was going on interviews and no one could get past the fact that I'd covered the New York Jets and the Giants and the Knicks and that no one could get past it. It, it was, they, all they were stuck on was that I was the sports reporter, not understanding that there's very transferable skills there, communication, thinking on your feet, not having a, a game plan. You just got to go with the flow. Hello, that's what senior housing is, uh, which is ultimately where I landed. I landed in senior housing. Steve, I, I kid you not, there will be a book on this someday. I was sitting courtside at Madison Square Garden, okay? 9-11 happened. Six months later, I am doing activities in a skilled nursing community for like 11 bucks an hour in Bumblescrew, Wisconsin. And I didn't know what I was doing. Man, but, but, but yeah, I, I love it. And, and I think, you know, one thing that the pandemic, you know, back then it was very, the good, the good thing 
is, is that, that now our industry has started to embrace viewpoints from outside of our segment because they have to, you know. It's exactly. Back then, it was sort of like, oh, you're not on the track, you know. Uh, you didn't go to school to be a social worker and progress like everybody else. And now we're starting to uh, embrace outside voices and embrace the value that people come from other professions. And so it's it's awesome that you were able to break in uh, at that point and get into the career. So, so th then kind of what happened? Well, I rose, interestingly enough, I rose quite quickly. It took me 10 years. I have a broadcasting degree and it, it took 10 years to get, be a co-host on a, on a, on a popular show in New York city. I got the, I got the job, uh, like I just shared with you, a, a low level, entry level, I should say, you know, all positions are important. I got an uh, entry level position in senior in skilled nursing. Within four months, I was a director at a, at an adult day across the way who had heard about me. And after that, I was, I had, I went to work for Ascension Health, which for my Midwesterners, uh, that's a hospital system in Chicago. And I was at their largest CCRC and they created a position for me. So what I realized, Steve, and this is why I really advocate for this now, and I am a champion champion for it now. Now I'm in my 20, almost my 22nd year in senior housing, is people really took chances on me back in the day. I was shunned by many, make no mistake. Continue to be. I think I'm still an outsider at, after 21 years of leadership in this industry. This industry, senior housing and aging, but I'm on the senior housing side of it, most notably, and always now in the dementia side. So not only that, I'm like kind of the redheaded stepchild in dementia, because no one wants to always talk about that. It's not very sexy to talk about. But so I still continue to be an outsider. But I, to your point, we are welcoming more, almost by default, they're welcoming more in. Uh, but I've been a champion for uh, outside voices for a long time. But then, um, if you don't mind, I, I'll instead of telling people what yeah, I've done, let, I'll show jump. people. I know you've got a slide deck, but let me remind everybody that, hey, folks, any questions, comments, just type them in. Or it, it, actually, uh, Teresa, I'm not sure if Teresa's hand is raised because she's got a question or if it was by accident. Here, Teresa, <laughs> I'm going to allow you to talk. But if that's a mistake, you don't need to... Um, open up your mic. Uh, but but um, Ellen, uh, you can share your slides. And then if any, you know, relevant questions come in, I'll, I'll break in. It, Absolutely. But, but if not, take a few, uh, take a few pause breaks, and uh, we can, um, we can chat. So I guess, Teresa, I guess you're, that was a mistake with your hand up. If not, just raise your hand and we will um, again, and we will um, uh, call on you. But uh, all right, take take it away, Ellen, and I'll I'll just break in where needed. Well, and this is oops, this has got to obviously be very informal because Steve, that's how we roll. But um, just to just to people are going to be like, okay, this is great. She's supposed to be some expert. She was covering sports. Well, again, just let me let you know. Um, I I was able to. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. If you can see my screen, you'll see that once my first job, uh, real senior housing job was with Ascension and you'll see just some of the brands that I have worked for and even, and I, what I did realize, and so those that are even on the fence of whether they want to stay in 
or break in or get out of senior housing, I was able to kind of define myself along the way. Um, that's something that helped. And every uh, elegance created a job for me. Milestone was a client of mine as a consultant. They created a position for me. So I will tell you, I was breaking barriers, but now these are opportunities that in the current station of our um, industry, people are welcoming. I think Steve's right. We're what we're, we need outsiders because just for you know all the reasons that we all know about in the world, and we're not gonna don't have to beat that up. But I now am actually a consultant. I in the midst of the pandemic, I left my senior vice president role because I thought that was a great time to go back into my the consulting company that I had opened back in 2011. I did press pause from 2017 till about uh, April of 2020 when two of my clients, an East Coast client, uh, which was uh, Compass Point, and a West Coast client, which was Milestone, those two companies merged and they made me an offer that I couldn't refuse to be their national director of memory support operations. But once I left again, um, this are some of the, now I'm back out on my own where I need to be. <laughs> and uh, these are some of the um, brands that I associate with. But just again, to give everyone an idea, cause we're gonna just, I've got, I'm welcome to answer your dementia questions, but I'll give you some, this is just some of the um, things that fall under my umbrella. My company name is Keep In Mind. And then the Kim Academy we just launched last year, which is an online dementia education platform that is still growing, but these are just some things. So you can see, I don't do things halfway. When I'm in, I'm all in. So these are a variety of brands that fall under my umbrella of, again, our, my company Keep In Mind. But the most important thing that I'm proud of is that I am a daughter caregiver as well. Now my dad, this is literally the last photo that was ever taken um, between my father and I, this was when I uh, was a, he was um, probably about a year from passing at this point. My dad had a dual diagnosis of Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's. So not only have I been a kind of a, 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 a dementia, you know, professional in the dementia space from coast to coast, at this point, when he was diagnosed at the age of 82, he was diagnosed several years earlier than this picture. I already had been in the industry for 10 years. I already uh, was, you know, had worked for uh, Ascension and Atria at that point, and I was on to my to my consulting work. And so, but when it touches your family, uh, it's it's a very different dynamic than when you do it professionally. And I know those of you that are on here that have uh, are both professionals and have been touched by it personally. It, it really does change everything. And my dad was diagnosed with a dual diagnosis of both Lewy body and Parkinson's disease. So he had a tough dementia, um, but this was a senior selfie as I like to call it. Uh, we had just got, I was back in their home in Wisconsin. I was a long distance care support. I spent a lot of miles flying back and forth on the regular to support my father and his, my mother, which was also both in their eighties at that time. So I love this picture, um, but it also, it also um, was very, when I went through my dad's journey and, and it's, I just wrote, if you follow me on LinkedIn, I just wrote about it this week. I just posted something on Monday about the, um, the sick care system that took care of my dad. And those of you who are family members, you, you have to be nodding your head when you, know you have a loved one with cognitive decline and you just shudder at the fact of having to send them 
to a hospital. Um, I went through all that. I went through all of that with my dad. And interestingly enough, I already, like I said, I'd already made a name for myself in the industry. I knew who to call, what to do. But once it was my dad trapped in a system you, even I wasn't always sure how to navigate things and champion effectively. And so I, I realized once we cleared through all that and now in my, in my work now um, with, with keep in mind again, my company, but really through my Kim Academy, my goal is to elevate the global dementia IQ because there is no playbook for, for family caregivers, most notably, and just all of us in general as to how to navigate how to champion, how to say no to certain things, how to push harder. The healthcare system doesn't listen to us. And so that really became effective, uh, magnified, I should say, for me when I had to actually champion on behalf of my own father. So um, I'm just going to stop there, Steve, and, and just see if you have uh, any thoughts or comments. I don't want to dominate the whole. No, no. <laughs> and I, I think it's, I think it's great. And uh, I, I love it. And uh, I I was able to take a peek at your slide deck. So I'm really psyched to, uh, to get to some of the ideas that you're going to be sharing with the audience, but uh, no, no questions as of yet. Uh, however, hold on, let me check in with Teresa again. Uh, her hand is up and uh, Teresa, um, if you want to um, unmute, if you do have a, a question you wanted to share, um, maybe she's maybe she's high fiving me. She could be. No, here we go. Hey, Teresa, can you hear me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. I don't know why the um, my hand is up. I tried to put it down. It's not going down. So I just oh okay, but well, I'm listening. Okay, excellent. Well, we're glad you're here, and I will just ignore the the hand up. Yes, but, uh, we're psyched, and uh, now we know our audience members can verbally check in today, so that's good. So, right. um, thanks, Teresa and um, Ellen. If you want to take it away, I'll I'll bust in if there's any questions. Well, so with that background of um, uh, you know, how I got here and, and how I do have a foot in both worlds. My my father, just in full disclosure, my father's uh, life journey ended in 2016. Uh, after it took, it took a lot of effort to get to the diagnosis uh, of Louis body and, and Parkinson's, because again, he was treated like a lab rat after, um, you know, just he was treated like a lab rat. Again, those of you who have experienced even tangentially about having a, an elder or a loved one that you care for have to navigate the healthcare system, especially when there's cognitive decline involved, it really is. You don't wish it on your worst enemy. And so I am on a one woman mission to try to, again, elevate the global dementia IQ, because I really do believe that until we, as, as consumers, if you will, until we rise up and demand better, the very oversaturated um, healthcare system, and I use that term lightly, loosely, it's not healthcare, it's sick care. We, it's almost like they want us to be sick. And let's be honest, I'm not trying to be... Um, you know, snarky, but let's follow the money on that. There does tend to be more money in sick care than there is in healthcare. But I will say, um, that's not how I roll. I know we could, you know, we all have to pay bills, but you can earn a living by doing things the right way. And I choose that route. So what I have done along the way, it, it was really kind of 
it really, this, my four pillar philosophy that is now the, the cornerstone of the work that I do in my, in my, you know, consulting work really kind of um, was formulated when I was a divisional director for Atria Senior Living. It was a, about the second or third job that I had had in senior housing. As you've already heard, I grew quicker in senior housing than I even did in the career that I began with that I was educated in. At Atria, I was a divisional director of what they called life life guidance. That's their memory care communities. I've only dealt with the memory care side of our portfolio. And I had 24 buildings at that time in 11 different states. I was I had a very large you know, part, part, portion of the portfolio, again, back in those days. That would have been probably from about 2006 to 2009-ish. I left a little into 2009. Um, to, to launch my company. But in the, in those, you know, very challenging three and three-ish years where I was everywhere from Houston, Texas to Rhode Island, from Virginia to Florida, I was all over. I was kind of from Texas to the right side of the map every week traveling somewhere. And, at, you know, and no offense, Ellen Belk, you know, in that position doesn't get invited to parties at these communities. I'm always was solving problems. I was always going to the communities that needed help with their dementia operations. What's going wrong here? What's upside down? Why can't we get the residents to do this? So I was always a problem solver. And I found in all of those years, through all of that you know, work that I just shared with you, when I really was reflecting on it, it always kind of came down to four, at least I could solve problems by looking at the environment, the care environment. How are we communicating? Listen, it, it's a learned skill to, to learn how to communicate effectively with people who have cognitive decline, okay? And, and, and nutrition, listen, again, some of this is out of our control, but we've got all these rules and regulations of where we must order food from in professional settings. And, and it's not nutrient dense stuff, y'all. I can't get kale, you know, off of the Cisco truck easily. Um, those of you who are professionals, you understand what I'm talking about. But meanwhile, with my own father, I understood that we needed, and again, forgive me, I know we don't know each other well, but from a nutrition perspective, we need our bodies to be we know our cognitive decline is going to impact us, but we need the insides to be moving. We need to be evacuating properly, and that means having bowel movements. We need to not have, you know, we need to identify uh, pain or inflammation in the body because we don't want all of those other side products to, to impact the cognitive issues as well. And nutrition, I mean, with my own father, I believe food is medicine. We gave him prophylactically, if you will, prunes gave him prunes before he went to bed at night so that he had a nice healthy bowel movement in the morning. I know that's a weird example and I apologize, but it's 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 instead of metamucil, which almost everyone that lives in senior housing is just on a a standard dose of metamucil which is filled with other toxins that don't help move you. Uh you know, fresh food like things that are fiber dense um, can help you. And I, and you're like, okay, isn't this a dementia thing? Why are we talking about it? Cause you, you, as I move forward, you're going to understand that just small tweaks of, um, discomfort within a, a person's body. If I haven't gone to number two for three or four days, let's think about that just for all of us on this call. Boy, am I a crabby woman to live with? I'm not sleeping good. I don't, that doesn't happen to me because I also use food as medicine and that's not a thing for me now, but it took me a while to figure that out. But for our friends with cognitive decline, 
who cannot say, I haven't, I haven't had a bowel movement in three days. They may not, their appetite will be decreased because they feel full or big or bloated. So that'll bother their caregivers. Um, they, they might uh, not sleep well. They might have some, um, you know, some, some uh, reactions to things. They might be resistant to care, not because they don't want you to do what you're asking them to do, but because they're uncomfortable and they cannot tell you why. It's really that granular. Uh, and then how are we engaging people? These are the four pillars that I created because really truthfully in my professional life, everywhere I went, it didn't matter what, as I was solving problems, one, two, or even three of these things, once we identified what the communication issues were, this is way overstimulating of an environment, way too much overhead, you know, speakers, staff have beepers on or cell phones are ringing. When you have an overstimulated care environment, God bless you, you you're, gonna, you're not going to be successful. And until we take care, even in a home setting, I was vigilant about that with my dad's care as well. Uh, the TV, I said, couldn't be above a certain level at certain times of the day, because especially with his dementia of Lewy body and Parkinson's, a hallmark of Lewy body is hallucinations and loud news you know, shows that are talking about violence and robberies. You don't want a cycle of that on your television and then have your cognitively challenged person absorb that throughout the day, well, that could really come back to bite you in the keister later on. So um, again, that's how I kind of formulated my philosophy. Um, but one of the things, Steve, if you don't mind, this is my, this is the one woman mission that I am on. As I, if you can see my screen, the screen is dementia. The word dementia is not the diagnosis. Once again, we, as a, as a world, as a healthcare industry, we have failed the citizens of the world who don't know they, you know, you're all going to jobs and you're just trying to get along. You don't work in healthcare. You might be any kind of other profession. And then all of a sudden you have a loved one or someone you care for, or someone you're responsible for that is exhibiting cognitive issues. And, and the, and the doctor says, well, it's a possible dementia. Okay. And then people go home and they're like, see, grandma has a possible dementia. That's not, we need, if, if anyone takes anything away from anything I've said today, that's not the diagnosis. You don't stop there. And let me just tell you guys this, and you can see on my screen, I have a, a slide that it, it's, an, it's a dementia umbrella. Dementia is an umbrella term. For, for those of you that, like myself, I am a breast cancer survivor. Cancer is a is an umbrella term as well. Why? Because when you get when when you get the phone call that you have cancer, that's not where the conversation ends. I was very quickly told that it's breast cancer, Ellen, and this is the level of what you're looking at. And we very quickly transitioned in that phone call to who the doctors are, who the specialists are, where you're going to go, where you're going to have this. Every From that moment on, everyone that was part of my care team plan was an expert and a specialist in my type of cancer. I didn't go to the pancreatic cancer clinic if there is such a thing. They wouldn't have known what to do with me probably. I went where people were experts at what I had. We have not done a good job of that in dementia and for and why? Because we've we've some oh, grandma's forgetful. That's normal. Hardening of the arteries. Uh these are not these are not terms that we should be accepting in the year 2023. 
quite frankly, we shouldn't have been accepting them for like the last decade. But that being said, dementia is not where we full stop. You want to get to the root cause. And, and it, do you know that there are upwards of 100 conditions that impair memory, behavior, and thinking? Alzheimer's disease is the one that most people are like, um, are familiar with. They're, that's the number one type of diagnosed dementia. But did you know there's something called vascular dementia? I've already mentioned Lewy body dementia. That's the one that touched my life. Frontotemporal lobe dementia. I have taken care of thousands of residents in the 21 plus years that I have served in the senior housing market. I've had hundreds in all of these categories. Alzheimer's disease is very different in its progression and its journey through the disease than Lewy body or frontotemporal lobe. Number one, Alzheimer's disease is what we call a, 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 a cortical dementia. It's on the so top layer. It impacts the top layer of the brain. Lewy body is a subcortical dementia, completely different layer of the brain altogether. So you guys, that's why it's you don't just have dementia. We you have to find out what the root cause is that's causing the, the cognitive issues and the in the behavioral you know um, changes and even the 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 lack of thinking and reasoning um, because we we and 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 if you if you're involved in a, a situation or a physician or you. You, we have to fight back and say, nope, not good enough to tell me it's possible dementia. Please give me a referral to the neurologist or the geri the geri uh, geriatric psychiatrist who might be able to take me further to, so I can properly care for my loved one. Those of us in senior housing, we have done an aw another awful job. I mean, we, we have to, in a memory care setting, people move in with the word dementia on their I mean, we have intake paperwork, obviously, and they have, you know, um, the word dementia is on their chart and we just take it. But then I, there are, we as an industry also need to do better as well to coalesce around the, because you will have, and I have had this, you will have maybe 16, 18 people with Alzheimer's disease. You might have three or four with frontal temporal. Uh, that's a very different journey. So often frontal temporal will strike younger. It, it'll start to be noticed in your 50s or 60s. Often it's men. They say men. I've had women with uh, many women with frontal temporal, but I've had experience with both. So just visualize this. If you don't know what you're dealing with and you've got some frail elderly who are later in their Alzheimer's disease journey, they might even be wheelchair bound at that point. And in comes a new residence who who was 62, who played college football, and he's got frontotemporal lobe dementia, completely different part of the brain, doesn't impact the physicality as much on the front end. He could be very much moving around the community, uh, getting into other places, people's apartments possibly. So now you have a very physically able-bodied person with a, a, a different dementia that's impacting an entirely different part of his brain you know, kind of moving around the space with frail elderly who are wheelchair bound with Alzheimer's disease. Do you understand how that can be very challenging for us to professionally to navigate all that? It's not impossible, but it definitely does us better if we have an idea of what we're working with before we move in. Steve, I see that there may be some questions. I'm going to stop talking and just let you read those to me if there is uh, any questions at this point. Okay. Uh, I, I think we are good. 
but I like what you're saying. It's, uh, it, it's, yeah, I, I like your approach. Uh, oh, I got, I see what you're saying. Um, so I'm just, again, I'm a person that says, be a champion for getting the proper diagnosis. Do not believe it when people tell you this again, myth. I'm a myth buster. Um, the industry wants you to believe, oh, we can't tell you. You can only Actually, diagnose it. Hey, Ellen, uh, yeah. on that uh, uh, question related to what does getting the proper diagnosis look like? Like, like who do you go to and uh, what is the first steps there? Well, that's a, let me, I will answer that. That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> and interestingly enough, I talked to a, a former guest of yours, who's a, a colleague of mine, um, Dr. Brittany Lamb. We just communicated last week. I know you had Dr. Lamb, yeah. the ER emergency doctor. Yep. She's amazing, by the way. Um, she and I were having an exchange uh, this uh, earlier this week, and we, it was about, it was about, a, a, we were, I was asking her advice on something. Um, and I was saying that I was pushing this family member to get a proper diagnosis. And I said, just work with me on this. And anyway, long story, but Dr. Lamb was, she really was right when she responded back to, we don't even have a good, like formula, if you will, you know, as to how to get the proper diagnosis in, in, for, from when you, when there's cognitive changes. Um, so do you, but here's what, I, so when a doctor tells you that God bless her, I, but I will say what I, what I did. Uh, and I will also say what I've encouraged and coached families to do as well. But before I do that, Steve, I want to say about that proper diagnosis, people give me pushback. Well, Manel, my primary says that, you know, it's a, you can't get a, a diagnosis until autopsy. Here's the myth busting. That's not true, you guys. It's just not true. It might have been 20 years ago. It probably, I probably was okay with that answer when I entered the industry 21 years ago because I was trying to figure out everything myself. But now I'm a board certified dementia educator. I've got credentials from Rush Medical uh, uh, Alzheimer's Center in Chicago. Believe me, there you can, you can at least have a very, and now fast forward to 2023, you absolutely can get close to what's causing the root cause if you're paying attention to what the the what you're recognizing. So, for example, uh, but to answer that, uh, hallucinations. If you have a loved one that is seeing small children running through the house, they're reaching into the sky and they're and you're you're like, hey, dad, what's going on? They think there's bugs in the air. Um, that's a, they're, they're having hallucinations. Something is causing that it could be over medication. It could be an adverse reaction to a medication. I will tell you, that's how my dad's journey began. He was, had a, a UTI at the age of, uh, at, well, he had a UTI in his eighties before diagnosis. He had, um, a significant adverse reaction to that where he was hallucinating, and, but he was able to tell my mom, I see small children running through our bedroom. It, and that to me, that's when I knew, oh man, I, I kind of, cause I know that that's a benchmark having hallucinations or adverse reactions that relate that uh, it, it, um, present as hallucinations to some change in medication. That is a hallmark of a potential Louis body dementia. So I say all that to say, and I, and this isn't a master class. If you know what you're, if you know that what the differentiation, differentiating attributes of the different types of dementia, especially those top four, Alzheimer's, vascular, frontotemporal, 
And um, Louis body, if you get to be, have an, a working knowledge of what the varying attributes of those are, and you start to see those attributes in your loved one who didn't have that attribute, at least you're moving in a step in the right direction. How do you get that as a lay person? You start with your primary, you do your best um, to start with your primary. Primary doctors historically are They'll, they don't take you full circle. So you're going to need a, a reference. You're going to need a referral to a neurologist, to a geri geriatric psychi psychiatrist. I prefer neurology. Um, uh, that's just, that's just, again, because I'm a non-pharma first kind of a gal. Uh, that's my whole, my holistic, you know, my holistic philosophy is all based on non-pharma first. Now I'm not opposed to medication when it's necessary, However, as we will, um, as we, I just, it will, as we move forward, did you know that none of the pharmacological medication treatments available today for Alzheimer's dementia, most notably, but quite frankly, I've seen them use, use off-label all over the place, slow or stop the fatal damage of the neurons. There are no drugs are specifically approved by the FDA to treat behavioral and psychiatric symptoms that may develop within the moderate and severe stages of Alzheimer's. What that means in lay terms is resistance to care, angry outbursts. Um, I'm, I'm a happy-go-lucky person and I have these midday bursts of crying fits. People will look at that as if those are psychiatric symptoms. And what do they do? They start to give them Seroquel. They, the doctor will prescribe, say, hey, give try Haldol, try Trazodone, make them sleep better at night. None of that has been approved for what, what I've just described. Um, some families are okay with that. And in small doses, it can work. This was, it's this, in my situation, uh, personally with my father, all of those medications created a significant adverse reaction. Uh, again, if you follow me on LinkedIn, I know Steve posted that in the chat box. I just wrote about what happened when we had to take him to the ER and he was then admitted to the hospital. And within 36 hours, he couldn't walk, talk or recognize his family courtesy of an overdose, an over a high dose administration of Seroquel, which he'd never had in his body ever. And this is when I really then knew we were on our way to, to Louis body because of that significant reaction that he had to a psychotropic drug that he shouldn't have been on to begin with. Um, so I say all that to say, you know, don't buy into the fact that we can't diagnose until autopsy, untrue. Uh, we can at least get close to it. Don't think that you that psychiatric symptoms are um, expected or that they're that oh that's a symptom we have to cure that. No 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 no. It might simply be you have too much stimulation in your care environment. There might be underlying. There might be dehydration. There might be other things that are creating a toxic. Uh, wellness, a non-wellness stew inside the person's body. Again, constipation, dehydration. Let me move forward. Did This is kind of leads into what I'm about to say. Did you know that there are reversible dementia symptoms? I've just articulated a couple of them. Some individuals have dementia-like symptoms without the progressive brain changes of Alzheimer's or the other degenerative brain diseases that most notably we've talked about today are the top four in Lewy body, frontotemporal, and vascular. 
But here you go, folks. And this is very common in aging bodies of all sorts. Causes of dementia-like symptoms include depression, untreated sleep apnea, delirium, side effects from medication. I mean, are you kidding me? We have some of our elder aging bodies are on so many medications that no one ever pays attention to what interactions those are having and how that might impact somebody cognitively. If we dial some of that unnecessary, you know, again, if I, I don't need to be on drugs to make me use the restroom, I don't necessarily need trazodone to sleep. You know, I need to get out and get some fresh air and move around and be active. Uh, I can sleep better at night, regardless of what, you know, physical capabilities I have. These are non-pharma interaction interventions. But if you cure, if somebody goes undiagnosed and untreated for depression, for example, for years, they might be self-medicating. They might be overcompensating with alcohol or other mind-altering drugs themselves. But it's, they don't. And so therefore, as their body ages, they've never been treated properly for the actual um, depression. It all of a sudden morphs into looking like dementia. But when we treat the what's really causing the brain changes, which is undiagnosed and untreated dementia, excuse me, a depression, when we treat that, all of a sudden they're cognitively back intact. Um, sleep apnea, this is a big thing. You know, people sleep apnea. What is that? Um, it's it's momentarily stopping oxygen flow to the brain. So if you go untreated and undiagnosed for what 10, 15 years, think of all the possibly millions of times in 15 years that you're you're you've stopped breathing in the overnight. You didn't even know it enough to the point where that's you know it's always a lack of oxygen to the brain, you times that by 15 years, you're now going to start to have some brain issues because some cognitive issues rather, and it will present like forgetfulness or memory lapses or inability to have linear thinking, you know, uh, successful linear thinking, multitask, carry out multitask, uh, you know, things that you need to do throughout your day. But once you're treated for sleep apnea, you get on a, a, a CPAP machine, you get that oxygen flowing, you're able to reverse what the cognitive issues that stemmed from the lack of being treated properly for sleep apnea. I'm going to stop right there, Steve, and see if that makes sense to you and, and, and your audience. Um, absolutely. And uh, no, this is this is really good stuff. Um, the uh, and and I I like what you said about medications and I guess you know the other thing is the misdiagnosis of you know the medications to treat uh, dementia but then the other thing that we've discovered in some of our discussions are folks that are using so many medications that it may appear as somebody has uh, dementia which just speaks to the value of having a, uh, a neurologist or somebody who's looking at the, the, the whole person and, uh, and, and getting a proper diagnosis. If, if nothing else, I will also say, if you're in the sound of my voice and you're, you know, this is a lot, I get, you can see I'm, I'm always on top 10. I, I just, I don't do anything halfway. So I get a passionate, 
about this. So you'll have to forgive me if I'm overwhelming you because you you need to learn in a different manner. But I will say, if nothing else, also, it's it's a very wise idea to on the regular. Now, I used to tell people annually, I've even dialed that back to six months now. And there are going to be some people that say what I'm about to say should be done every three months. But um, to have a have a what we call a medication evaluation, it's as easy as having a pharmacist. Now, again, I realize that you don't want to necessarily go to CVS or these big box places that are in business push out medication okay there are good people that are um that are in fact you should probably know this gentleman uh steve i'll introduce you to him dr delon canterbury if you haven't heard of him oh he is a, i was just introduced to him and uh yeah yeah he's fabulous he's fabulous and he and he is a pharmacist who left his big box role and is now what is called he's a deep prescribing uh, you know, pharmacist, if you will, he is, uh, he's got an entire course where he's trying to teach other pharmacists how to de-prescribe de all of the unnecessary medications that are giving to most people in general, but he and I, we specialize in aging bodies. And so, and, and it's, it's even more of a toxic stew when you just keep piling on medications into aging bodies. And in my, you know, in my world, aging is 60, 65, 70 and older. It's, some people are on medication for 15, 20 years. Hello, that lost its efficacy a decade earlier. So there, you know, you don't you don't need to keep piling on things that will possibly become a toxic stew on the inside of your body, and it just doesn't help you. So yeah, and and again, I just have this slate um, this slide up that says sixty to eighty percent of individuals with dementia. So these are people that we know have uh, you know a form of dementia also have depression. There's a lot of reasons for that. This isn't a, a mount, you know, a master class, but um, you know, the geri but here's again, look at the second bullet point. Ge the geriatric depression, which is common, guys, and it's increased since the pandemic. I will tell you that. You cannot lock people away and isolate them from the world. Any of us, by the way, I think we've all learned that, but for sure, also our, our dear precious elders. Um, there will be more sleep disorders, fault, potentials of falls, cognitive deficiency, cognitive deficiency, not decline. Once we figure out malnutrition, a lot of them weren't eating properly. So their food was working against them as well. Um, that can, you know, that geriatric depression, we clear up some of this stuff. We get them more physical so that they're more able-bodied or not as prone to falls. We get, we solve the sleep situation. We get proper nutrition, high nutrient dense food into people. Uh, and all of a sudden you start to see a little bit of an elevated, um, you know, overall wellness. And so that's what we, that's what we, what we really are looking for. Another thing, I, another part of my four pillar philosophy is the communication. And I always ask my professionals, I teach an entire class on this. Do you speak dementia? And people are like, oh my gosh, what is that? Well, dementia is like a foreign language. It can be, it's not easy. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to, um, um, what was I going to, excuse me. It's a, it is a challenge to communicate when you don't speak the same language. I don't speak French. I can only imagine what, how, how well I would do if I went to France and everyone tried to keep up with how I speak. Um, but speaking dementia is also a very learned skill. And it's for those of you that are family caregivers, 
and you have siblings or other people who kind of muck up the situation often they they rile up your let's say you're all watching over your parents i had this in my family i had siblings that did not speak dementia i didn't they got tasks that kept them busy away from the actual day to day because i couldn't have them riling up our father who then was having hallucinations and 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 that got him out of bed every night. And because of something that had happened or some exchange that may have happened earlier in the day that bothered him, but it didn't rear its ugly head in his in his fading brain head until in the overnight. And now he thinks the house is on fire. Those are things that actually happened in my specific situation. So every person does not need to be involved in the day-to-day -day care. And especially if you have somebody that has to be right uh, you will never be right when dealing with someone with dementia. So you have to suspend reality um, often. And if you got someone in the care circle that has to be right, they're going to battle your loved one until they force feed them into that. This is 2023. And, you know, and no, uh, you know, JFK is not your, our president mother. You need to know we're in the year 2023. That's not a good, that's not communicating properly to someone with dementia. We don't want any of that. Very un- very unsavory dementia communication. So we need to be able to uh, pay more attention to people's, um, their feelings. Sometimes words aren't even necessary when you wanna communicate effectively in dementia. Why? We need to know, to, to learn how to speak dementia, we need to know our person well, whether it's a resident in a professional setting or your loved one in a home care setting. We need to understand what they're saying even when we don't understand their words. Those of you who have also cared for people with cognitive decline, especially in any form of these dementias that we've, we've kind of touched on today, there will be word finding issues. They might call the refrigerator, the telephone, as they point to the refrigerator. When my dad did stuff like that, it's like, I knew he was talking about the telephone because he said the word telephone, but he pointed to the refrigerator. I wasn't gonna correct him. I heard what he was saying. I didn't, it didn't matter where he was pointing. I don't need to be right because I speak dementia. And my goal is to, is to you know, nurture the person living with the disease. So, you know, we understand their expression. Are they grimacing as you're helping them brush their teeth in the morning? Could there be a toothache? Um, are they, are they, when they're laughing and they're smiling? Well, hello, we know that that's a good sign. Um, there's often, Steve, in, in aging bodies, and especially when cognitive decline is involved, there's often undiagnosed pain. They could have toothaches. There could be a, a, a wound on the body somewhere that we haven't seen and it's bothering them. There could be a mosquito bite that they've itched so much that when we weren't around and now it's kind of an open sore. You know what I mean? Like there, there could be undiagnosed things that if we're not paying attention to grimacing or walking differently or, or, or limping in a certain way, those are things that we should investigate. Um, if we want to be, that's, that is actually part of speaking dementia friendly. We don't always need to do things through word. We need words. We need to figure out issues and be proactive for looking for issues. When your loved one cannot tell us what the problem is, we become investigators on the daily. Um, and then we pay attention to their body language. And, and, and I've, you know, you care for somebody long enough, you know, it's like, it, it's like for those of us that are parents, you know, and I'm not comparing adults with cognitive decline to children. That's not where I'm going with this. But as parents, the concept is 
when your baby has that, oh, I'm hungry cry, or your baby has, please don't leave me, mom, cry. You know what those cries are and you react in a certain way or you don't react because you know it'll go away shortly because you know what type of cry that is. It's that same caregiving philosophy that happens with those that we love or those that are in our care who have cognitive decline, who can't verbally communicate their wants and needs. Again, we pay attention and we understand. Um, and these are just some other things. There's clues for you know emotional pain. There's clues for physical pain. Uh, if they're hungry, that's a big thing. Um, we just, uh, you know, and don't get all wrapped up. Well, we just got done eating lunch. Listen, if your loved one is telling you they're hungry, either verbally saying I'm hungry, guess what? It's it's not easy having cognitive decline. They burn more calories, especially those with Alzheimer's disease. They burn calories uh, as when they're up and physically moving. So give them some more food. It's it's okay. We don't have to, especially in my senior housing setting. I always get freaked out when they're like, "It's we just ate lunch." Guess what, guys? We we can give them some more food. It's okay. Give people more food if that's what they want. They don't have to have an entirely full another meal if they don't need it. But if if someone with cognitive decline is saying that they're hungry, guess what? Let's just give them something else to satiate that hunger pain that they are able to articulate to us, and let's not make a big production out of it. Um, I'm just going to read this out loud, Steve, because I, I write these things. I, you can find more of them on my website. Uh, I call them Kim quotes. Kim, again, is the acronym for my company, Keep in Mind Incorporated. And here, here's a quote from a, the perspective of someone with the, living with dementia. And it reads, I have dementia. I may snooze in the middle of the day. I may respond in an unusual way. I ask you to try very hard to see this is my new reality. Live in my moments, the ones that remain, focus on me and not my fading brain. Um, I just wanna give you examples. These are pictures specifically as we get ready to close up from my professional work when I was the national director of dementia operations at Milestone. Uh, I was, we, were, we had a hundred communities in our portfolio and my challenge to those who are professionals to stop doing, let's, yes, there's cognitive decline here, but let's stop treating people like we got to lock them up away, lock them away and throw away the key. Let's live out loud. I practiced this with my own father. I was telling Steve uh, earlier, my dad got the diagnosis. Y'all, he lived for four and a half years. You don't get the diagnosis, whatever the diagnosis is that you land on. You don't get it. And then the next day you forget what your name is and everyone you've ever known in your life. That's not how it happens. These are slow, progressive, you know, most, most dementia, types of dementia, uh, underlying root causes of dementia are slow and progressive. So we have years, years possibly of living out loud. You best say we're going to get people out to a baseball game when, it, again, when it's appropriate, there will come a time in the journey when it isn't appropriate. That happened with my dad. The first year and a half, two years, he absolutely was pushing the cart at Trader Joe while I was shopping and putting the stuff into the basket. He could help me. He wasn't paying for everything. He didn't drive us there. I took us there, but he was helping and living out loud in the best way that we could to keep him active and engaged. And here are some examples of how I got my professionals to do it. Here in Florida, I had a great community on the intercoastal waterways. So yeah, the, you know, location, 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 right? But these are all residents living with dementia out on a boat. Are you kidding me? This is how you want to live as long as you can, right? Heck, I would like to live, you know, get out on these boats and I, 
Um, but the point is, is we, we don't lock you up and throw away the key in a home setting as well. We should not do that. Close the drapes and splunk your loved one in front of the television all day. Not good. Not good for those with living with dementia. Y'all, as we get ready to close, my professionals will always be like, well, Ellen, our residents love bingo. We love bingo. They love bingo. And I'm like, yeah, but have you given them these options? Have you, have you taken them to a pool hall? Have you gone putt-putt golfing? Again, here's another group. They went to this uh, local, they, they did this on the regular. These are all residents living with dementia, living like all of us would do. How many of us don't go get gelato after the movie theater or whatever? You don't have to stop living. <laughs> you shouldn't. And if we are advocating and we are promoting, um, you know, we love our people, this is what we're trying to do for as long as possible until it doesn't make sense. Because again, I'm always about preserving the dignity of those that we're serving. There will come a point where none of this works for some people. You'll know when that is. Um, I'm gonna leave, leave this my final story and I'll tell you why I'm so passionate about it. All those pictures I just showed you, I've been doing this so long, y'all. Those That goes back to 2012, 13, 14. This picture goes back to 2000 and uh, about, this would have been about eight, seven or eight, 2007 or eight. This is how long I've had this, I've been practicing what I preach. This is a gentleman in Houston, Texas. Once again, this is when I was with Atria. I had to fly to Houston because there was a problem with this gentleman. I in the essence of time, I won't bore you with bore you with all the, I have written, I've actually written articles about this gentleman. Um, he's amazing. His name is Jim. And, but I won't bore you, I can't get into all the, the, the nuances, but to suffice it to say, I was called in here. And the first thing that Jim said to me on the day that I arrived was, and he's about six foot six. I'm a six foot tall woman myself. So I'm a pretty tall girl. He made me look short. And the first thing I did, I flew into Houston, came straight from the airport to this community. And Jim on that day, I first met him said, I want to get out of here. I put my, my travel bags down. I said, all right, Jim, let's get out of here. I knew I was coming here for this. I knew he was a, an exit-seeking resident that had just moved in that was very, very able-bodied. He was also very young. He was barely 70. And they were having struggles with this gentleman. So we went outside. Now, on the day that we went outside on that first meeting, this wasn't that first day, but you can kind of see behind him, there's a raised planter bed. There was a sidewalk, a circular sidewalk that was in a secured area off the memory care place. Okay. So Jim and I went out there. We, he, we went out there and we were walking. And in doing that with Jim, within literally five minutes of meeting him, he'd never met me before. He just told me he wanted to get out of there. And I was right into work mode in this moment. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking. And he's telling me about himself. He's telling me that he's a farmer, a former farmer. We literally moved him in. His sons, I found out later, said, yeah, literally within like a week after his last time he worked in the field, he was living in, in, in a, I mean, they really had, he went, had a very quick transition into senior housing and he did have Alzheimer's disease. He did have, uh, ultimately had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. All of that to say, I learned about who he was. I learned that he was used to being outside. He had farmed, after he got out of the military, he had farmed in Houston for most of his life. And so I went to the staff and I said, this is here, guys, if you're worried about Jim being exit seeking, we got to find ways for Jim to be in that courtyard safely and appropriately. And, I, and there was a lot more to that conversation. The community was very open to this. 
This picture was sent to me a couple of weeks later by the activity professional who, this was a little bit of an urban setting, interestingly enough. They were able to, from this community, her and Jim walked down the sidewalk, down about half a mile to a Home Depot or whatever, some garden center, and they he picked out these plants. They had cleared this area. When I was there, there was grass here, but the ED gave the approval to have that, that section of grass ripped up. Jim got to pick out what he wanted to plant. And the next time I went to visit this community, I took this picture. That's what Jim's garden, yes, a man living with dementia, former farmer, now locked up in a secured memory support area, this is what Jim was able to accomplish. Obviously, some people there might have been some other folks that helped. Obviously, our activity professional, but he got to come out, you know, was involved clearly. This became a tour stop. This became, you know, this was Jim's sanctuary. That's what it's called to holistically help and serve those that are living with cognitive decline. So I challenge you all to be the change that you wish to see in the world. We can all do it. It's so much easier than you think it is if you have the right attitude. And if you're interested in ever hearing from me again or learning more about me, I encourage you to click the, um, you're welcome to you know scan the QR codes. Steve, I don't know if you share these things. At, if I could give you, a, I could always send out a PDF version to you and you could get this to your tribe. But if not, um, I've really been grateful to have this time with your group here today, Steve. So thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. This was wonderful. And um, yeah, just um, if you shoot me an email at the end, I can um, add that to the recording link. And, uh, you know, listening to you, Ellen, is kind of like drinking through a fire hose. I mean, I, and I love it because I'm guilty of the same thing is, is where you got all this info and it's just you want to share it with with everyone and uh lots of great um positive feedback in chat dixie says if we lose our passion we should get out of healthcare um and uh the um fantastic webinar well said uh, eileen says thanks for sharing the journey about your dad i enjoyed the brief poem that you read your enthusiasm towards dementia is refreshing refreshing um dixie says when the profit is the bottom line. Bingo, not boating is the only option. <laughs> I totally agree that promoting life has a therapeutic value, but healthcare is not driven by quality experiences for our clients. Good nutrition, recreation, small group housing is, is expensive. Priorities are given to medication, corporate facilities, low paid staff. Um, so uh, um, it, it's I, obvious. I will, yeah. If I could interject there, though, and I know that that's how it feels, and we're so the whole world is upside down right now. That is changing, and and it'll also change faster when the populace starts to become more uh, engaged. Stop putting up with st stop putting up with you know all those same exact assisted livings that have four walls and a roof being built on every street corner in your play in your neighborhood or in your region. It it, it is changing. A a, because the, the venture capitalists are realizing that the banks aren't lending in this current climate of um, finance that we live in. So things are changing. There are people that are building more affordable housing. The boomers are not as flush with cash. Ironically, as much as money as they made, they're not as flush as, with cash as their silent generation parents were before them. 
So the marketplace is recognizing that and changing. It may not be as fast as we all want it to, but there is hope. There is hope to that person who said that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so man, I can't, holy cow, it's it's 10 minutes after one. This is, uh, you gave us a ton of great content. Everybody is very um, uh, supportive of uh, what you're saying and uh, plan on sharing this. Uh, folks, I, I, I gave you Ellen's contact info. Feel free to reach out to her. I'll have that contact info at the recording link and we'll get that up on the website. But this has been an amazing discussion. We got to schedule you again. Um, and uh, anytime you got something unique on your mind, just reach out and we'll look at the calendar and, and try to figure it out. Um, so, um, all right. Well, this has been a great way to kick off my weekend, that's for sure, with some fresh <laughs> perspectives. And um, so, I, Ellen, I hope you and everybody who attended to have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see some some of you folks at our discussion next week. And then uh, we're going to be into a little Fourth of July holiday break here. I can't believe we're moving right yeah. through the summer. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity, Steve. Your, your tribe is fabulous. And I it, it, it doesn't surprise me because you're one of the best. You're right. one of the best. I appreciate you. Okay, awesome. All right. We'll see you all. Okay, thanks, Owen. Bye-bye.